It's time for the Daily Review, a podcast dedicated to reviews and discussion of TV, movies, and books. Look for us at Daily Review on Facebook and Twitter and dailyreview.com on the web. That's D-A-L-E-Y review.com. This is Paul Daly with my wife, Caroline. Hey, guys. And you're here for the Daily and Wife podcast. <laughs> I'm the wife. <laughs> And this week we will be talking. Oh man, you're supposed to say, and I'm the daily. Oh, oh my god! Uh, yeah, Paul. This was an unplanned joke. It was, and poorly executed at that. Oh, well, <laughs> let's get into time. a very well executed episode of Westworld. This one was the fifth one of the second season, called Akane no Mai. Title meaning. Here we go, guys. My is like an interpretive dance. That's how the best way and most succinct way to explain it. Akana was the name of one of our characters, but it also means red, like that deep blood red, or actually blood. So we could call this the red dance or the dance of blood. Doesn't that give you a lot of uh, Game of Thrones feels? Red wedding? Red wedding. Yeah, the uh, yeah, there's a lot of red imagery in Game of Thrones, that's for sure. Yeah. So before we delve very deeply into and dragons, this, yeah, definitely dragons. Delve too deeply into this episode, I wanted to talk a little bit about the behind the scenes footage that they put out through HBO. They had some really great uh, information about the set design, the costumes, all this stuff. You guys, it was so amazing. If you guys have any interest in those types of things, I mean, Paulo, to do the lighting to make it have that diffused Japanese tea house kind of look, like that kind of for the entire town. They built like an entire structure over the entire town and then put this like white like you would use for a diffused one light, but put it over the entire town. Wow. I know. I mean, it was really, really neat. They had a really cool uh, interview there with uh, Lisa Joy and Jonathan Nolan. Um, they were discussing, you know, the universal telling of the same stories in all culture, like how enthralled they were with mythology and love and the ideas of parents and kids and all this stuff. And really, you know, the concept that like the same stories are told in all cultures with just the different cultural aspects thrown in. So that's why we get this like identical story, but with the twist, because what? they were really interested in that concept. You know what that reminds me of? What does it remind you of, Paul? Is that a lot of, not a lot, several classic Westerns mm -hmm. have their stories lifted from classic Japanese stories. Talk to us about that, Paul, because I know that you are very well versed in this. And I feel like a lot of people are very unaware of the connection between Westerns and samurai movies. Well, the, the classic example is The Magnificent Seven. The story of, you know, the guys all from all different ways of life being brought together for this one one cause to go save the day. And that's based on a story called The Seven Samurai that was made into a movie by Akira Kurosawa, the famous Japanese director. But it's a it's a, it's a traditional story that he just put on film. But it's a much older story than that. Same idea, though. 
Um, and other Westerns also tried the same thing, but Man- Magnificent Seven, Samurai, the Seventh Samurai, that's the most famous example. I think it's uh, so fascinating that Westerns and Samurai would be in the same world. But if you think about it, that sort of like very literal cutthroat existence that they both had was, I mean, it is so similar. You know, this idea of this like lone warrior type, you know, and the posse that comes with, you know, in various ways. It was very very interesting. So did you actually see that they built the set exactly the same as they did Sweetwater? Did you note that? When I was watching it, I did, have not seen the behind the scenes, but I, but as I was watching it, it did seem very much like everything was spaced out exactly the same way, just with Japanese kind of decorations rather, mm-hmm. rather than Old West. And they even did that thing. Do you remember when they would get off the train in Sweetwater? Do you remember how there was like a blacksmith and then there was like a guy um, who the kids put the scorpion on his head yeah. and all that stuff? So it was all those things happened guy. with a twist. Yeah. yeah. But do you remember the scorpion guy freaks out? And the beetle guy is like zen about it. Like yeah, he doesn't even yeah. move. So it's like interesting. They do the same things, but with a twist. And I thought that that was so cool. The set designer was explaining that one of the a little bit different things they did was that each of the shops that were there was supposed to be a part of production. So like if you looked really very carefully at the little emblems that they put on the different shops, like there was one shop that was actually representative of hair and makeup, one that was representative of stunts, one that was like a writer's shop. It was like very interesting. I I don't know why they chose to do that, but it was just something he thought would be like fun to give them each like a theme like that. Well, having been, we've been on not exactly the leftover set, but kind of the leftover set. And if you recall, it was very much like that. If you looked inside the windows of all those places around the square, so you're and talking. Oh, you're talking about Lockhart, Texas, right? And inside all the buildings that they had rented out for production, if you really looked, you'd see ladders or props from other parts of the show, or just kind of miscellaneous things uh, that that it's clearly like when they need to vid- when they need to film in here, they clear all that shit out and then. Go put it in the next place. And then when they need to film in that place, they bring all the shit back. Right. You know what I mean? Exactly. So part of the thing, too, was that they they were the goal was to make this look like a traditional, not like modern Japanese. But at the same time, they were trying to tweak what an authentic look would be. But then how would it look if you then made that into an amusement park? So like maybe the colors were a little bit brighter, like the there was still that sort of like a little bit. I don't want to use the word cartoony. Maybe that's what Disney makes me think of it as, you know, but like everything space just so and everything, you know, Mm -hmm. it's like a little bit, a little bit more um, fake, if you will. The the Edo town there. Do we say Edo or Edo? Edo. I think Edo. I have said it Edo, but I heard someone else call it Edo, and now I'm not sure. Um, the, it was actually converted from their back lot. And here's, here's a fact. People on the internet don't actually fact check themselves. Oh, much. no. I knew they didn't. And Edo sounds so much more right to me. <laughs> but I, when someone else said it, I was like, maybe I'm thinking of something else. But Like me. I don't know that it's Edo, and I'm on the internet. So... <laughs> See, and I would say, you know, I wouldn't say Edo. Um, Anyway, uh, the other thing that was really fascinating about the concept of why would you have to make a samurai uh, world or a shogun world, if you will. And that would be because if you think about the concept of this Delos property, you would have people coming from all over the world. So there's there, you know, the the Asian population 
would be gigantic just if you use, um, you know, populations wise, proximity. you know, right. And proximity, of course, of course, that would be a huge part too. So while an American might want to relive the old wild west, the chances of, a, you know, an, an Asian citizen might want to, you know, experience this more culturally, historically accurate for them, um, experience of being a samurai or a ninja or something like that you know yeah yeah well sizemore also gives a little bit he gives like a, a sentence or two about shogun world as he's being brought along he's actually of all the characters and of all the episodes this is the most this is the most obvious time that we've had the writers just um, Give him this huge exposition, yeah. huge amounts. All right, I mean, I I just thought there was so much neat stuff. Um, they talked with the costume people about things like like it took them two days, Paul, to make one of those geisha wigs. Two days for one. What in the wig? What in the wig is right? I mean, craziness. Also, like the if you paid attention to the costuming, like how amazing they did. You know, like with the leather outfit that was Hector, and then his counterpart had the leather and the straps on his kimono. I thought stuff like that was really, really amazing. Um, and it was funny because for the stunts, the the guy who played the counterpart to Hector, do you remember his name? The actual act, that not the actor, but the character's name. I don't, but we'll tell you in a minute. But here's what the funny thing: he's actually actually a master swordsman. So like they brought in other stunt people, but he ended up like teaching everybody like the actual ways. And the stunt guy was so funny. He's like, we had to add so much blood for the, for Shogun World. <laughs> like, because I guess if you look at it compared to like a gunshot where you can just make like a stain on their shirt with a sword, you have to have this like splatter of blood, you know, this like big impaling, you know, move. And it just like really changed the look of the fights, you know, and especially, my God, the way that the master, the the major Shogun guy got it. <laughs> I mean, do you know how they did that, Paul? The uh, the head? Yeah. Uh, that looked like she kind of sawed it off. Well, it's like she did it, yeah. But the way that they did it is they had this thing like a likeness head, they called it. And so they had to like create all these likeness heads with different like from the top down so you could see his lower jaw, but like from the inside. And then at one point, like the stunt guy has to wear it on his shoulders and then he actually like fall when that part where he falls down with it. Mm -hmm. I just thought all of that was like, so wow. I know you guys, we don't every week give you all the behind the scenes stuff, but I know you guys don't have time to always watch everything. And so I thought we'd give you a little bit of extra info this week. That actor you're looking for is Hiroyuki Sanada and his character is Musashi. Musashi. I knew he it was, was something with an M. He was in The Last Samurai. Yeah. Well, so he's actually a master swordsman. So that was something really neat, too, is that he, on the side, the actor that plays Hector, like anytime there was like downtime, he was like making him teach him how to use the sword, which I thought that was super cute. Before he was in The Last Samurai, he was in The Twilight Samurai. Uh, so this is sort of like a running thing with him. So he's very good. He was in Lost, if you remember. He played Dogen in the last season. I absolutely recognized him. I knew it was it was from Lost. I didn't remember um, how it all played in, but yes, yes, sir, I did recognize his face. It's it 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 has actually aged very well since then. He looks pretty much the same. He, I mean, he looks pretty much the same from The Last Samurai, and that was 2003. Yeah, well, you know, I love it. Time's standing still. We're immortal, Paul. We're all hosts. 
Uh, hey, I saw this thing, you know, I was watching the royal wedding like a ton this weekend. There was a part where she, Megan, goes back and takes, um, puts on a different uh, re- reception dress. And it looks suspiciously like Angela's dress and the dress that Dolores is wearing when she's playing the piano at the retirement party. That like halter style, high neck, sleeveless, long white dress. I was like, oh, no, they took her back into the castle and they've already switched her brain out into her host body. Ah! <laughs> but don't you know the royals would be like the perfect people? to do that too absolutely come uh, on you got to think the queen is kind of immortal right she she does She's seem to be ridiculously immortal. i mean how is it that prince philip managed to go get hip surgery and be walking on it in like it's been a couple of days they said he didn't even have a cane paul he's a tough old fart no host 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 i tells you paul something's gonna awry. although he did not maintain his skin my friend Ooh, gee He'll get punched in the eyeballs. See, I thought you were going to call bullshit on Meghan Markle's hairdresser who said uh, that it was the hair was supposed to come loose. It was designed to come loose. I believe it was designed to come loose, but uh, it was not doing the right thing during the ceremony. Yeah. Y'all don't know me. Y'all don't know me. She's a hair person. I'm a hair person. And I was like uber annoyed at that hair hanging down on the side of her face. And it wasn't hanging down. It was just disheveled. Like it's one thing to let a piece out of the of the bun. But this was just like sad three almost like comb over pieces, you know, across the side of her forehead. That is not attractive. No one wanted to do that. Give me that crap. I can't believe she had a hairdresser. That's laughable. Hardy har har Paul. Well, that's enough royal wedding coverage. Why don't we get into the episode? First little tidbit I'd like to talk about is what I refer to as the now timeline because it's very, very short. I, I think there's only three bullet points to hit here. One, they're back in the Mesa. Is that what you got? Yes. Two, Bernard is just sort of floating around. Yeah. I I mean, so the little nug that I picked up was that um, he's got no glasses, which is our indicator that it's present time. They're doing this whole like gathering of the bodies and he is doing this like very like studied slash confused kind of walking around, I would best say. I mean, there's one part of when he's like looking like straight over the pile of bodies with like Teddy lumped on top, just sort of like, I don't know, scanning the room. Yeah. Uh, I mean, he's got his own issues, but there also seems to be this um, current of feeling that the... Delos employees that have had that have been airdropped in, they are not interested in having the help of the previous staff. <laughs> right. Right. They exactly. don't want to hear from Stubbs. They don't want to hear from Bernard. I don't, I'm not sure. OK, so there's this talk about the cradle and we heard about the cradle earlier. I'm very uncertain what the cradle has to do with. And I'm, I'm going to call that to our attention and to our our listeners attention about what is the cradle and what is this? What does this have to do with things? I, I do wonder if. Bernard is even in these circumstances. There's a lot of um, looking back that shows that Bernard's point of view, like there's people in the shot and then the people are not in the shot anymore and then they're back in the shot. And, you know, especially on the beach, uh, those scenes, things are very, very confusing. So I'm I'm really trying to piece together a little bit what's going on with Bernard, but I don't want to talk about it too much in this episode, but I do want to sort of bring up the idea of like, what is this cradle? Is Bernard like actually physically at these places? Are all these things memories in various ways? Is he ever physically there? 
what do we know? What can we figure out? I'm not sure yet. I'll have to watch it closer myself. Yeah. And I can show you some clips like specifically on the beach. There's some scenes where like, remember that guy was walking behind them and Bernard goes, he's executing them. Do you remember that? And he yeah. was, they were just shooting him. Yeah. Well, if you look at that scene and you watch it as they go through the scene, people appear and reappear in different orders behind him. Like the the lineup, there's like four people, I think. And it's like the the woman on the end is like standing. Then she's dead. Then, but then in the next scene, she's back standing. Then there's a guy in between. Like it changes out, changes out, changes out. Also, there's a part where I can't remember. It was, do you remember the guy who took the, um, opened up the guy's head on the beach and took out that little Costa. light thing? Yeah. Costa. There's a part where he's looking at this iPad and he's holding it, right? One second, it ha- it's plain black, totally clean. The next second, it's got like a sand handprinty kind of mark on the side of it which you could say continuity or no big thing but i don't think it was the first episode of the whole season i just don't see them making mistakes like this uh i think that this is bernard like in out in out in out other so he's kind of parts kind of doing what dolores went through last season yeah and i'm not like remember that time when dolores like opened the drawer put the gun in close the drawer open the drawer there's no gun yeah Okay, well, so I think that there that kind of stuff, but it, but it makes me wonder if Bernard is being questioned somewhere just the same way Dolores was being questioned somewhere, and that he's not really there in the same way. If how much of this is memory, how much of this is not? Why maybe sometimes he has a scar, doesn't have a scar? Um, you well, know. that 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 makes a lot of sense because the way he was kind of just. He wasn't interacting with anybody. Right, right. And and yet the way that people interact with him are often like these series of questions. So like if you look back, like anytime like when Strand was talking to him in this, like you would ask him a question or two. And it's the type of thing that where if he was sitting in a chair, what I think it probably sounded like if you only took the audio of Dolores and Bernard sitting. You know, like where there's obviously they're delving into questions and stuff. And it's the same thing with Hale talks to him the same way. Elsie talks to him the same way. There's just like all these weird little moments. Like, remember, we were joking around about Elsie that she like that bucket didn't seem used that, you know, the granola bars were like, yeah, there were some like wrappers, but like it didn't seem realistic that she had really been tied up there for like three to five days with granola bears in a bucket. Yeah. Remember that? Well, what if she wasn't? And what if this, I don't know if it was all in his head. I don't know what parts are being implanted or what parts he's remembering. I don't know. But something about the cradle, the cradle being broken, all that, I don't know. There's a bunch of stuff there. Third bullet point is the uh, Costa's discovery that as they pull out the brain bulbs of of all the various hosts, that he said that they're finding a third of them don't have anything written. Yeah. And so when I was thinking about that, like, okay, so my degree is in child development. When I think about a blank slate. I think the tabula rasa, the idea of like, you know, when you're born, you're completely blank. And they use that idea of blankness, right? So then when I put it together, I said, all right, so these hosts are blank slates. That makes me think of babies, right? Babies plus floating in the water equals baptism, baptism, rebirth, something else going on. But who is being reborn? If we have the husks of hosts back here in Delos, where is the soul slash brain or consciousness? Did it get put into something else somewhere else? Like when Dolores found the door, did it go into a hybridy situation elsewhere? What happened there? Excellent idea. A rebirth somewhere. I, and I don't know what that looks like. I can't explain it yet, but I am positive, And I've said this since the very beginning that those floating bodies in the water isn't what it looks like. There's something more to this. So they could be all just transferred out 
yeah. in the mainframe, in other bodies. In and they something. even said that. They said, we just lost a third of our IP. Like he says that straight up. So that makes me think like, mm, yeah, you did. And But like how or where, how did it go? I it's don't know. It's a good know. theory. That's like uh, we've been talking about the idea of imprinting uh, human memories into the machines, but we never really explored the idea that machines, if they were sentient, would want to do it themselves, you know? What does that mean and what does that look like? I have no idea it's yet. It's basically Skynet. <laughs> I, I don't know what it looks like and I don't know what it looks what, what does it look like to get out of Delos? What does it look like to be into that other world, to go through the door? What, what does that look like? And did a third of them make it and two thirds, like how she kept saying, not everyone can go? Maybe that's because there's only X amount of whatever the vehicle is that gets these consciousnesses out. Maybe there's mm -hmm. only X amount of them that can go. And so that whole thing, like two thirds of you, like basically aren't worthy then to go. So we leave your crap behind here, you know, could be. I don't know. Very confusing. Let's move over to Sweetwater. Talk about old Dolores and Teddy. Boy, did they have a crazy adventure this week. It feels a lot more like this was Wyatt wearing a Dolores mask. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I would say yes, extent. except for that she has got this need to look for Abernathy and the need to look for Abernathy seems to come from this more daughter father kind of business. And he talks she talks yeah. a lot about Abernathy and a lot about the ranch and a lot about the cow and the herd and all that stuff. And so I'm not sure because Wyatt always seems to speak with a, such a different voice and a different set of experiences. And this all seemed very rooted in Dolores experiences. So I'm not sure, although Dolores is freaking ruthless, no matter how you look at it. I mean, it's like, I know we only think of, of Dolores as like the farmer's daughter, rancher's daughter, if you will, but, but really that innocent kind of thing. But I don't, but she wasn't that even before she really turned Wyatt anyway. You know, she had kind of, she had grown through all these experiences and was like a lot less like that. You know, What do you think she wants to train for? Well, from what I can gather, we're back in Sweetwater because we need to repair the train. The only thing that I can think of is that the only stuff they've ever showed us about the train ever is that that's how the guests come into the park. That somehow, do you remember the whole thing with William, how he basically opens the door from that ready room of getting dressed and he opens the door and he's in the train? Yeah, that was crazy, but yes. Okay, well, so if that's the only door that I can think of. And we know that this season's called The Door, right? The only physical door that I can think of that's been like this big transformation thing is walking through the through the getting ready area into the train. Well, what if she uses the train in some way to get access to that door? And I don't know if that means physically moving the train, which kind of would link to the previous episodes, how they said that the track is going in a different direction than they expected it to be going. I don't know if she's trying to loop it back towards which she thinks is a main building or something. I'm not sure. I don't even know what to call it, like central area. I'm not sure. But something to where she thinks she's going to find Abernathy, I think has to do with the train and has to do with getting back the other way has to do with you have to get back on the train and then go backwards through it. Does that make sense? I don't know. Remember, if you're yeah. looking forward, you're looking the wrong way. So I think yeah, we got to go the other way. Yeah, I imagine that I we're going to see this train run backwards. I Ooh, don't know why. Ooh, that'd be so fun and cool. Ooh, foreshadowing, Paul. Jim Delos riding the bicycle backwards. Yeah. Ooh, I like that you just said run it backwards because I was saying like loop it back around and so and I'm in my head was running it straight forward. But you're right. No, run it backwards. Like totally rewind time. Yeah. Ooh, I love that. And that actually matches up with what we were saying about, is it possible that that memory ball thing could actually be an option for old William to be given? And guess what he gets to do? Rewind time, go into a young William body 
maybe that's an option for him. I don't know. Super interesting. Let's talk a little bit about this idea of Teddy saying, like, let's run away together. Teddy is growing, but for Wyatt slash Dolores, I think he's growing in the wrong direction. He does seem to be, like, acting more aware and more clear about like what their existence really is he's i mean it's not that he's impaired but he does seem just a little more limited i think limited is a perfect word because i just feel like his programming if you will is not even like you know how they do that thing where they like raise the bars up and down with their finger yeah you know various things i just don't think that i'm not even gonna say it's intelligence it's like awareness or ability to 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 think beyond this certain part i don't know it's like there's just not the capacity there he's got high marks for things like loyalty and mm-hmm. and like code and honor and that kind of stuff but when it comes to just thinking and feeling i i think he's 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 average or, or maybe a little below did you expect for them to have that robo sex kind of yeah i you mean did tell me well i mean she telegraphed it Pretty, pretty much there. I mean, it—they go from the chat out on the range, right, back mm-hmm. into town, and she's, which we're gonna talk about that cow discussion, the herd, but I just don't want to talk about it quite yet. She's pretty dewy-eyed through that whole thing, in a but in with like a sad, nostalgic, right, harsh-edged tone to it. Mm-hmm. So. Evan Rachel Wood did a pretty spectacular job this week with trying to show that she felt both things at the same time, that she loved this guy and knew that she basically had to kill this guy. Well, and I think that, you know, moments like when Teddy said, well, can't we just put a tent like way out there and they won't be able to find us? I mean, I mean, even the little kids in the room were like, oh, Teddy. Yeah. Like, you know, like you you don't get it. Like, that's not a thing. You can't. There's nowhere to run for an, far enough within the Delos, you know, world here that we can possibly ever have a tent far enough away. Right. You know, like it's not a thing. So I do want to talk about this robo sex for a second, because I do think that this entire second season has been it's like down a notch in terms of rating. Like if it was always like an, an, an R rated show, I feel like this was almost PG sex. Yeah, you could tell there were naked bodies flopping around, but they didn't really gratuitously show, you know, the R-rated parts. They literally showed nothing, though. Like, I was really surprised. I mean, just to show, like, backs and a leg, like, not even a leg, like a calf, you know, like a shoulder, you know, stuff like that. I was pretty surprised. This is a strange departure for for HBO viewing. After having that orgy episode last, last season, it just seems like... Wow, you guys are really like holding back. I'm wondering if there's any meaning behind this. I know that they consciously said this season that they were going to try to even the score with how much female nudity there was in the first season and that that's why we saw like size more uh, standing there completely naked. That's why we've seen a lot more uh, like we did see Teddy's bare butt, although I swear to God, that was probably a body double the way they, they did that. Um, but it just seemed like. I don't know. Doesn't it feel like strangely reined in for like no reason? I don't know this for a fact, but I believe that after the first season or two of Game of Thrones, I don't know if you remember that, but she was naked a lot and she 
once. Well, you're saying she is at Cersei? Uh, no, no, Amelia Clark. Uh, oh, Daenerys. Daenerys. Okay. And, no, and she definitely was. Yes. Of and course. she, if I understand things, she renegotiated and oh. she said she's not getting fully naked anymore unless she, she says it's okay. Ooh. So there have been times when she's been naked, but it wasn't just like, like it was in the first season. Interesting. Uh, so I wonder if, you know, Evan Rachel comes to this role with a little more, I don't know, inner interacting, uh, what would you call it? Stature bag than Amelia Clark did for that role. Okay. You know? So maybe she has a, I get to say when I show my boobs claws, you know what I mean? Sure. Well, and then the other part of that, that I will say, like in terms of this within the, the actual storyline. I feel like when they were true robots, we saw them naked all the time, like as if they were truly just machinery. And then now the more and more we're supposed right. to be thinking them as humans, I feel like it's almost like that, you know, Adam and Eve kind of thing. Like it's like now they wear clothes and are like more like modest. Even in that scene when, when Billiam was demeaning her and he had her naked on the piano bench. I don't think we we saw that she was naked, but we didn't see her naked parts. Right. Definitely. No. And and it was more like you saw like the like the top like well from like her lower back up, but like her hair and and, and obviously the way she was yeah. sitting was like no right. Hmm. So, but but I do think like this sex scene. I I mean I'm just saying and hey we're not gratuitous sex scenes like you know like seekers or anything, but I will say I, it just it seemed like a completely different show we were watching compared to the you know, Mariposa scenes or the, you know, the scenes with all those men talking in the tubs about what they're going to do to Teddy and all this stuff. It's just like, this just seems so restrained. Um, and I don't know if it was because we were supposed to get into the almost artistic side of this whole thing, that these were two robots that were like choosing to be together in a way that's like, huh, okay. Like I didn't get that they had ever done that before. I assume Me this neither. was like their only time together. I think so. their stories have had always been sh ships in the night, right? I thought so, yeah, unrequited that they never really got yeah. to this point. So, I mean, I guess that was interesting in a way. Maybe this would be considered like making love as opposed to having sex, which that's what they've shown in the past. I don't know, but they definitely had a different vibe. I know that there's been some people out there who felt a little bait and switched with the first um, season being as nudity ridden as it was, and this season being a little more like, "Hey, I signed up for nudity, and I'm who, not." Who are these people? That I'm are not getting enough butts. This, they're admitting to this needing more. Well, more you nudity. know, they have silly names like you know, furry butt online, so it's right. not like I could ever tell you their names, but yeah, Mister Peepers, Mister Mister Peeper. Um, <laughs> okay, let's talk about this story about Blue Tongue, the cow sickness. What did you think was the right answer to this scenario? Did Teddy give such a, a ridiculous response or was Dolores just being kind of hard on him? I'm not a farmer and I don't know what Blue Tongue is, but I do know that when it comes to sicknesses that, that infest herds like mad cow or 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 hoof and mouth or whatever, they they put down the ones that they think are sick. And uh, I guess that's how it's done in cattle herding. So uh, she, the way she said it had a little more edge on it than, than Dolores would have said it. But um, I mean, I think that's the right way to handle that rather than sequestering and quarantining 
cows. I didn't really know what was like, quote unquote, the right way to handle it. I, I did feel like um, a little bit. This is where when people are sort of saying, like, do I love Maeve better or does she seem more sentient than Dolores? And blah, blah, blah. a little I feel like these moments remind me that Dolores just has like a very specific point of view. And she has like her very specific journey ahead of her that she has planned out in her head that's just very different. It's not the same as Teddy's. It's not the same as Maeve's. And I think it's like apples and oranges to try to compare where everybody is in their programming. Like, I honestly believe that Teddy, as a, even as much as he gets to be human, wouldn't put his herd down. Even as, you know, even as more and more and more human he would get, he just has like, at least however you want to look at it, his personality is just more softer than that, you know? Mm -hmm. And so part of that is like, what part of his personality, what part of it is like, well, you're just not awake yet. You just don't know what's what. Yeah. That's the thing with, with what I say that he's limited. He may not ever get, I mean, he knows what he is, but being able to, 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 rationally go from I know that I'm a robot to we live in a totally made up place and just you know building a tent on the other side of whatever that he thinks is over there um, that's not going to do any good that's not going to escape anything you know yeah and maybe that's that's a good like analogy to make is that like Teddy still kind of thinks that you can just sort of like if you move far enough away from the quote unquote sickness then you can you can still be okay and you know Dolores's basic point is that no in fact you cannot still be okay there's no you can't move those cows those six cows far enough away from anyone to try to not, not infect everyone. And so, you know, this is this is why we have to just like slash and burn, literally. Now, after the robot sex, there's this crazy ambush. What was going on? What was happening in that room? Because she says, I need to show you something. And they come in the room and there's some sort of dead carcassy yeah. thing. It's got flies all around it, which a little bit implied to me. Remember how he said... I would put them in a stable or I'd build them a shelter and to keep the flies away from them. So you think this was a, a a cow? No idea. But I will throw out the concept that like this could have been a cow done the way that Teddy said, keep them in a shelter and the, and the flies will stay away. And yet here were the flies crawling all over it. I don't know. She never said that. She never pointed at it and the, and the carcass was way too disgusting and mutilated to be able to tell what the heck it was. But if it was that, then it would have been like a very direct illustration of like, this is what would happen if you tried to just quarantine things. And this is why we have to do it in a different way. I thought she was going to kill him. Actually. Me too. So it's, it's colder, actually, that she's that she's like, well, I can't really not have, you know, a gunfighter as good as you just go unused, <laughs> you know. So we're just going to turn some things up, turn some other things down and, and, and we'll be we'll be ready to go tomorrow morning. It's it's extremely sad because in many ways it's taking everything that, you know, we were she's trying to tell him like you're an individual you're a person you're not to be you know uh dictated to and used as a puppet and stuff and then yet here's what she does you know she turns around and does the exact same thing to him as was done to her you know and and all of them this whole time it's what she's like warning him against hypocritical well painful right i mean it's almost like you know you didn't learn your lesson so i just have to do it to you myself even though this is the same kind of crap that was done to us, you know? 
Yeah, I guess we'll have to find out what Teddy's changes are next week or the week after the way that they kind of run the story uh, this this season. Right, we're kind of bouncing back and forth. Leapfrog. What do you What do you think that they meant when they said basically like they didn't know if he would like hold together that Teddy wouldn't hold together? Yeah, they were like, "Are you sure?" Basically, that this whatever they were going to do to him was so extreme that somehow like his mind or his whatever was just going to fray out like maybe like Abernathy style like where you're just kind of like wig out maybe the the brains that they have designed you you've seen that that weird uh that multi-point circular graph that they have on the iPads where it's like the, the different points make up their different statistics and yes. and it makes kind of a jagged shape where things are either high or low or whatever I did see that yes Maybe their brains, the closer you get to making that thing just a complete circle, uh, the 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 more the brain can't handle it. You know what I mean? It has to have those peaks and valleys because it can only handle so much capacity of, you know, Weird. whatever. So basically, once you complete the full circle, is it possible that that's like almost like Jim DeLosi or whatever, where it's like you're like totally aware and everything's like wigging out and you're like at that full thing. And like now your brain, whatever that thing is, has to like deal. Maybe. Um, I don't know. I mean, this is all just throwing stuff out. Yeah, we're just making it up as we go we along. We are 100% here. making this up, you guys. I have no idea. So, yeah, but your question does seem to imply that there's a limitation there that they are pushing. And definitely, you know what it also reminds me of a little bit? You know, like a machine, like a, like a, especially not a well-made car, but like a go-kart or something when you like push the pedal to the metal and then it's like, she's breaking up. Yes. It's like too much power, too much energy, too much whatever. It's like all too much. It's like just going to bust apart. So I don't know. I, I wonder about Teddy. I wonder if, if he gets to go with her, even though we see his carcass there in the, you know, fix it room whether or not he's one of the third that is wiped does that mm. mean that he his essence did go with her to the next place i don't know maybe he she didn't leave teddy behind after all very perceptive i hope that she didn't because i mean i'd like to think he makes it i think we've invested so much of in him as a character that it seems insane to just walk away from that is there any more business you want to cover in sweetwater it's kind of a short story this week why don't we head over to shogun world this was an interesting uh, entrance into shogun because i felt like we had all that exposition you were talking about earlier that sizemore just like blathered on and on in this episode providing answers which is always a yay but at the same time um like awkwardly it's like why are you just saying it right right i mean in, in a story are we aren't we supposed to see it you don't say it you show it right like i was kind of like well, I think the extreme nature of the way that they designed the Japanese experience with um, needing to abide by their codes of behavior, otherwise they're just going to chop your head off. Um, I I think he it's justifiable to some extent that he would just explode with this information, like like how he says we built this for people who thought Westworld was too tame or whatever. It was kind of a paraphrase there, but you get the idea. That's one of those but comments he, that fits in your, in your bucket of, uh, 
Why'd you say that? Yeah, but he also <laughs> he also said so much more that we could have probably looked up for ourselves on like Google or something. Like he was like, "This is the Edo period. This was the most, you know, um, brutal one. Yeah. Brutal, right? Why did he tell her all? I mean, it was in order to tell us." But it was not necessarily for Maeve to know that this was the most brutal part of the Japanese culture, historically, blah, blah, blah. Like, this was not necessary. It was necessary for us as viewers to be like, oh, okay, you know, that's good to know. But it felt very, like, hand-delivered in a way that was like, I don't know why they just said that. That was weird, you know? Yes. So they do end up having, the, again, this entire part where he's like, you're speaking the wrong language and you all have the languages in your head. You just have to search them out. Like it was like, huh? What? Yeah, that was a little more. Yeah. Yeah. Why that, did he just say that? Right. Yeah, that was a uh, little. Yeah, I think Maeve I might have even figured that, that out. You know? I cringe when it happens because it feels like. Why did you just do that? You know, I, I thought this episode was pretty fascinating in the way that they did use this, um, you know, mirror-y kind of image of the of Sweetwater. However, if I wanted to be really super mean, and I mean, this would be a mean thing to say and my heart's not in it, I would be like, this was kind of lazy. Like they just repeated the same exact story in Shogun World rather than creating a new narrative they did it identically and then they did this thing where they're like haha this character just just stole all this this stuff like copied and pasted it into shogun world and sizemore said what i feel like people would, would think when he's like well you try to think up new stories which seems almost like they're saying it directly to us like well you try to come up with something more original which was a little like uh, okay. I liked the twists and the stuff that they did to it. But like I said, if I wanted to be mean, I would say, uh, they just recycled a lot of stuff under the guise of it being like, it's kind of like a stunt rather than a story. Yeah. But the thing is like, they, I don't know, they, they would, yeah, they recycled the, the plot points but um, and the characters, and, but they called themselves out in doing it, and it's not like they got the benefit of being able to reuse the sets or any or any of the actors or completely anything. So, wholeheartedly. So it's uh, I think it's winking at us. I that, liked the whole thing, and I'm totally for it. And I never at one part at any point was I bored or anything. Now I was on Twitter live tweeting, and I can tell you there was a lot of people bored, a lot of people saying. Uh, I, I saw the phrase, this episode just jumped the shark, that this was like a crap episode that they just were totally just like they were either telling us stuff like Sizemore was just blathering out the information or it was such recycled material that it was like, mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. like we already know all this. You know, even people were pointing out that the scenes with like Dolores and Teddy, while it moved forward finally at the end. The whole, um, the whole, con uh, what's the word I want to say? Her frustration with Teddy has been the same the whole time. This was not new ground to say Fred, uh, Freddie, Teddy is still naive. You know, yeah. I was like, uh-huh, we already knew that. So I just want to, I would like to always have a moment where I say like, I get it. If you're a viewer and you're like, hmm, I had some problems with this episode. I understand. I personally enjoyed it. And I always like this concept that, 
you know, stories are all recycled uh, around the land. So what's more fun about it is to compare and contrast it and see what new stuff we got out of it than to say, I've seen this before. Such things include trying to draw direct lines between which characters are are each other so which i thought was a fun activity so the the chief uh ronin samurai he's the he's the hector clearly you've pointed that out already um and there was even an armistice she had the tattoo she was a badass with a gun she was a woman all these things added up to being but did you note that the tattoo wasn't a she wasn't a badass with a gun she was a badass with her bow and arrow so she was kind of the same deal did you note though it wasn't a snake it was a dragon on her face so Uh, it was just tweaked a little bit different i liked it i liked it beyond that the the lines are a little more dotted except for no the mave character right i'm just gonna say akane you can say whatever you'd like. I've only heard it heard Akana, but you can say Akane. I've okay. seen a lot more Japanese stuff in oh, my whole life. Well, I will I'm just, I am going to just fly with it because you are, you have a lot more. You may uh, call me sensei. I will not, but. <laughs> um, so, so Akane, she's clearly. She's, let's just call her like Aki. Okay. Aki is Maeve and Sakura is the daughter. Who is missing in action? She might be Clem in a way, but yeah. probably more like the daughter. I'm giving. I'm going to give her fifty fifty two. Like there was definitely a Clem aspect, obviously, to their actual relationship in terms of like their hierarchy. Like one was definitely sort of like the boss of the other, if you will. But Clem had kind of become that surrogate. Yes, and the and the conversation was obviously very maternal. Let's talk about the village scene. And again, comparing and contrasting, what do you think about Paint It Black on the flute? I loved it. Me and too. Because I pay attention to the freaking music. And, Me too. And so when it pays off, when a theme comes back and I recognize it, I I, I feel like I've done a good job viewing. Like I'm like I'm up with the, the, the curve. <laughs> I really liked it that they continued the music with this stylistic, um, you know, twist all the way through to the logo at the very end. Like they play that little music at the very end with the logo. Yeah. Even that they gave the twist of the of the more Japanese Japanese. Yes. I thought that was so cool. I I really love stuff like that. Now, what did you think about this whole revisit to the robbery? Ultimately, I'm glad that that Maeve stepped in and, and, and turned it in a totally different direction. But I was just charmed, I guess, because it was funny. It was in a, in, a, in a show that does not really have comic relief. It was funny to see that Sizemore, who never thought that anyone would ever catch him in recycling his storylines, was caught. You know, he was so horrified and he kept and he kept saying it out loud. And I don't know if this will come to pass or if this was just like his own his own desire to not have them see each other. But how he was so concerned about the, you know, mirror image character seeing one another. Um, Like he kept saying, like, you guys are going to freak out, basically. And then to watch Armistice over there with her. Oh, my God. And she was just sort of like doing her hand and everything. (laughs) That was amazing. Multiple people on Twitter said they're shipping those two as like just like they want to see that relationship go. And I was like, (laughs) that's amazing because what a weird thing. But it was funny to get to see that wonder side of her. 
her. You know, she's always such a badass. Yeah. To actually see her slow down enough to be wowed by something was like cool, you know? It was. It was. Maeve is increasing her powers, right? She's she's now figured out how to how to talk in Japanese and turn that into commands. Yeah. And so, then I mean and she was then like finishing out the sentences of Aki. Right, right. Later on during the retelling of the little story that she herself told to her daughter. Or was it that she told it to Clem? Was she told? She told it over and over again. She would always tell it to like the new uh, guests that would come in the park. The idea of like you can you can be anything you want to be and like other stuff. Like she used it all the time. It was a go to spiel. Interesting that that the Shogun uh, Toady was still. I mean, we're not understand that he was still running his program, right? He was still. The Shogun was always going to send that guy to come get Sakura and bring her back. That was always going to happen. I believe, yes, they are all still running programs to a point. Because, I mean, I definitely felt like, you know, there was like when, I don't know her name, but the girl who with the dragon tattoo um, came over and like untied, you know, Armistice. Yeah. I, I felt like that was not within her script. So it's like, yes, they're on script, but then at the same time, no. Yeah, they're like semi woke. Like when the semi, Ronin, yeah, the Ronin guy had the presence of mind to say, "Gag this one." <laughs> um, I, you know, maybe it, could it be he just didn't like hearing her voice or thought her voice would be annoying, or did he know that she could mess him up if if she got a few vocal commands out? I'm not sure. I mean, I definitely think that. Okay, so what? Sakuri, what was her name? Sakura. Sakura seemed to me like she was not woke at all, right? <laughs> right, right. Like, I I don't know what her deal really was. And maybe she's in the same mindset. You know, Clem's like real weird right now. Well, Clem had her brains drilled out. I know, but does isn't this girl acting a lot like the same kind of like, I don't know, like no one's home? Well, she is acting a lot like a scared kid, you know, like the way that she kept hiding behind Aki while the toady was there, uh, quote unquote, negotiating for her. Right. Not really grown woman stuff, you know, but maybe that's I don't, perfectly right. I'm just right. taking it and, like she was just a shell of a thing right then, as I do feel like Clem is too. Poor Clem. Definitely. Now, historically... I don't actually know that samurais and ninjas and all that kind of stuff actually existed co- concurrently. I think they the probably- way that Sizemore flipped out, I would say no, they didn't. So it's just kind of, I mean, it's cool and it's very anime actually to like have it all together because it's it's like you know getting attacked by the ninjas, getting attacked by the samurai army. It's 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 like. If you were a guest, this you'd be like, fuck yeah, you know, because there'd be so much to do, right? Yes. Living through it on this end of it is not as not as cool, I'm sure. But if you were a guest, you'd think that was great. So walk me through how how the battle went. Tell me if you think this is right. The samurai army comes, Maeve decides that she needs to get away and she needs a diversion, so she leaves her fighters behind. Hector and the Ronin guy, and Armistice, and 
the dragon girl and she stops the fight before they get killed with a vocal command. Is that? Not vocal. That's when we find out that she has this mental capability. Oh, yeah. Because the ninja brought it out of her inside. Right. Because she was right. Because she was being choked, essentially. So she couldn't do any vocal command. So right at that point, she was like pushed to like her furthest fight or flight situation there and so she was able to find this this mind control now mind control is one word but honestly these are machines and they're working on a network and we know it's like a wi-fi situation Mm. so in that case they are so close to her i think they like joined her network she's just like sending out commands just yeah but not in a way that's like telepathy more like using a printer (laughs) Right. More like using a wireless anything like she and because she has access. Now, maybe the thing to be wowed about is the fact that she has access to these commands internally. Like there's no like iPad she's using to command something. She's able to like push the buttons in her head to be able to command someone else. Now, maybe that's worth being wowed about. Now, do you remember another time in season one where we were wowed about people acting in strange ways when no one was verbally telling them to do anything? Well, I know that Ford seemed to be able to control hosts with almost nothing. Um, Right. Do you specifically remember the Cullen luncheon at the plantation and the way that his all of a sudden his plantation workers like stood up and all walked like in unison. Didn't yeah. that look a lot like what you saw happening here? It did. Everyone all of a sudden stopping and doing something totally different. It did. Now, what does that mean? What does it mean about Ford? What does it mean about his capability? I mean, I don't think he was like had like a remote control under the table. I don't know how he would have been able to access the network mentally. So what does this mean? Is this a glimpse into the idea that maybe Ford was some sort of hybrid? It definitely kind of looks that way, doesn't it? Because maybe that's why he had to be shot in the head, Pete, because that would ruin that memory ball thing. Right. If you're like immortal and you're done being immortal, then what? Yeah. Very, very interesting idea. I don't know. I'm just throwing it out. It seems impossible. I mean, do you remember how unnerved Cullen was? I mean, she was like really freaked out and he was very, I mean, she kept saying your, your, you know, your time up, your time is up being a God here, those types of things. And then, and he like basically flexed his muscle by then having, the people all around him, the host all around him doing things that was clearly like a mind control situation. Like uh, there was another time with the snake. He just like waved yes. his hand and the snake went stopped and then it went away. Yes. Hand waving. I mean, no one else has shown anything about hands doing anything. Well, and you could have probably you could probably explain that away and say, like, maybe there was a physical motion to give to an animal or something to, like, shut them down or something. Maybe, maybe. But those people down in the field, they couldn't see Ford. They they, they didn't have any, like, physical way of knowing what he was doing up there on the patio thing. So there was something more than that. I don't mm-hmm. know what it was. I don't know how it worked. And it could have all just been a stunt, but it looked awfully similar to this Maeve fight scenes. So I don't know. It's something to noodle on. You know, we definitely know that um, – Well, I say definitely no. We have a hunch that Ford did actually produce um, the hybrid human combination. We think he probably did actually do it, right? 
Yeah. And so is it possible he did it to himself? And is it possible that he, I don't know, like was done being immortal? And so then he had to have someone else kill him. So he like made Dolores get to this point. I don't or know. killed his, whatever his current that host, consciousness. host body was. But... Right, because the way it was shot, he was shot directly in the head like that. And then it's like- he, What if that's the cradle? It's like, he, it's like he set Dolores and Maeve off almost like rats running in the same maze to see which one gets to the cheese first. And then maybe that's like he- And William. He- and William, yeah. Well, but remember he said there's many contenders or something like that. Yeah, I think there's a bunch of people. I am not. There's no part of me that does not think that it's possible that Man in Black falls under this. Um, I don't know. There's probably a reason why he made Bernard Ford did. Maybe he needed someone to actually do the surgery or whatever. You know, Bernard has a lot of comfort with those memory balls. I mean, he picked it up like yoink, put it in his pocket. Like he knew that was valuable. He wasn't like, what's this red sphere? He was like, I know what that is. And he was cool with it. You know, I don't know. Lots to noodle on you guys. But uh, the Shogun world, I, of course, was so surprised. I mean, we could get into the minutia of the actual plot. But, you know, of course, the red dance happens and this um, when they're getting ready to go out there. I was like so shocked and freaked out that that Shogun just like stood up and went over and just like stabbed the girl in the belly. That was so surprising to me. I was not I did not see that coming. And well, I don't know what it means if she's representative of the daughter or representative of Clem or whatever. What does it mean that the guy stabbed her? That's a fine question, because, I mean. It gave Maeve flashbacks about, you know, her own experience, but... Being stabbed herself. At the end of the day, she has Felix and... Sylvester. Sylvester. She can just have Sakura turn back on. Right. And that is actually what I was thinking was going to happen. I didn't expect her to stay down for the count. So I thought there was going to be somehow, somewhere, someone was going to... Or just Maeve was going to mind control her back up, you know? I don't think she needs the programming. I think she could just tell her to stand back up with her own brain, you know? Yeah, that could be. So yeah. I'm not sure, but I thought that was all pretty good. Was there any part of the actual, um, you know, of course, Aki, you know, and her mad move on the head there? I can't say that I've seen that move anywhere else. You know, usually when it I comes have. to decapitations, they go under the jaw <laughs> very traditionally this was somewhere kind of about a third of the way up the head so that made it a little more gruesome right do you know where we saw a really similar version of that though it was costa on the beach when he did cut that guy's head open i know it was a little higher don't get me wrong but how he got into his head yeah he has like this tool that that like yes i know that. but it that was the only thing that it reminded me of and it made me wonder if it was almost like cutting him open like again i think that that shogun was supposed to represent ford in the way that he was controlling aki and in the same way that like if you thought of dolores and mave being in the aki role and then ford or whatever being in that you know manipulative role of like the puppet master, then to go and actually to his head, cut it open like that mm -hmm. was almost the equivalent of Dolores blowing his brains out. It's yeah. It's like for hosts, 
it's like the vampire stake through the heart, right? It's the right, one way to permanently kill you. Is because in in a human head, your your skull, your cranium here that houses your brain, that's like the whole like if that's destroyed to a point of no return, then you're you're you can't make it. But I th- what if you know how the way that they show the inside of the robot's head and they did a lot of that in this episode because they walked along their heads being opened. You know that again, I use that phrase, the cradle. I don't know exactly what the cradle is. Don't know exactly what they're talking about. But if you considered that part of the head as being like almost like the I'm going to call it like a cradle. I don't know what else to call it, but it's like the structure that holds that light bulb piece in place. Mm -hmm. Then the way that she cut it like that is almost like. I don't want to say completely irreparable, but. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like permanent death, right. Right. So I don't know. Pretty, pretty rad business there, you guys. Pretty rad. No, I do want to ask you one other question about the mind control business. Okay. Remember when the Shogun thing was having some like goo come out of his ear? Cortical fluid. Right. But then the other war- uh, warriors had their ears like burned shut. Yes. Okay. Some people when we were talking on Twitter were saying that it was so that they couldn't hear Maeve's commands, but I almost want to think it's more like so that their cortical fluid didn't come out because we always see it come out of their ear. I thought it had to do with the verbal commands myself. I don't know. I I just thought it was weird to show to show the goo coming out of his ears and then go directly to show these ears welded shut. Why would they? You know, why would they show it that way? The cortical fluid would be something that if you were woke you would recognize. And if you weren't woke, it would be more like you might not even notice it. You know, you would just kind of run down and die. What do you think that it meant that the Shogun was having goo come out of his ear? Great question. We know that Bernard had it because he was physically (laughs) beaten up. He was shot through the head. He had to be, he was fixed in a hurry. So he was just kind of patched up, but he wasn't expected to run very long. So, that's what was wrong with him. Why would the Shogun be having it? I don't know. I don't think they showed us enough to know why he was having it. I, I think it's interesting because I said that he was more more like Ford, but maybe he's more like Bernard. Maybe he's representative of Bernard. I don't know. Mm, the way the way that they flashed up the the image of the man in black for just that one scene mm-hmm. when he shoots the daughter. Um and that's when they, they it, it that happens when uh, Sakura is stabbed. I think it happens then. Right. So you think that it's actually the Man in Black? I kind of do because okay, I'm go I'm good with that because he he certainly wears all black. He says that he told Ford that 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 there was no villain, so he became the villain. But in Japan, they've got the Shogun, and he seems to be filling in the villain role pretty effectively over there. So when it comes to next week, uh, I watched the misleading previews, and (laughs) I have to think that we're going to go back with William. I didn't see the misleading. Can you tell me anything about it? No, I don't remember. But I did. They they did show some more Japan. They did show, uh, and I think they showed uh, Man in Black slash William, but I don't know if they showed Dolores, I don't, I don't recall. We have got to get back to this Emily storyline. I mean, how are we not shooting right over back to that? I mean, that's how we left it with the high dad. 
Like, don't we have to get over there? And don't we have to make some movement in that direction? Or you think we're walking away for an episode or two? Uh, no, Man in Black got to be next. I, I'm almost positive. And Emily, though, right? Not yeah. Like, not like some old scenes of him. Like, we're going to be in the now with Emily. You know, they could show, you know, father-daughter scenes from, from your, but um, I don't know that we need that just ever, actually. I mean, <laughs> I, I think we'll, we'll- We understand. It was a strange relationship. We'll get the idea- with the way she treats him. Fully, fully. Well, we hope you guys have heard some interesting ideas from us. Uh, we try not to go too far on our theories in that, like, I know some people feel they figured out, like, the entire end game. I don't know that we've figured that out, but I do feel like there's some parts along the way that they've already shown us. So that doesn't mean it's a theory or anything. It's really about putting the puzzle pieces together. So I invite you guys to, like, think about Bernard. Think about where he's at in all this. Is he remembering these things or is he actually walking around? amongst all these people with this with this like puzzled look on his face all the time what's going on with him you know people are comparing Maeve and Dolores and saying like you know Maeve's so much more woke than Dolores is that true or do they just again sort of like the blue tongue cattle herd do they just have like very different ways of handling things and Maeve has got a very singular goal I mean she just wants to go find her daughter that's within this whole Delos thing. She's not thinking about going somewhere else and going out into this other world so far. At least she doesn't talk about this. Whereas Dolores has this entire whole plan to be getting like a lot of them out. So then who is more, um, you know, who is more? Woke. <laughs> right. Who is more woke? Who is? I don't know. Or does it even matter? Is it, or are they just handling things so differently that there's no reason to even compare storylines in that way? Well, I'll just take a guess. Maeve seems more woke. Dolores seems like she's still running Ford's program. Uh, everyone else is shades of woke less than that. That's my that's my guess. I like that very much. So if you'd like to hear more about what we're talking about, we live tweet for Westworld on Sunday nights. We also do this podcast as well as Handmaid's Tale and Colony, which we do talk radio on Wednesday nights right after the Colony episode airs. Uh, it's usually 10 to 11 o'clock um, Central Time. And then... We also do so many other shows. You can check us out on so many shows.com where we talk about so many other things like Marvelous Mrs. Maisel and the Orville and the leftovers and uh, Stranger Things and The Mist. If you want to binge The, the Mist. The Mist so, can... so many other things for you to listen to us on and definitely check us out on radio. You can call while we're on the air Monday through Friday or so many shows. Pals are all on the air. So check us out. Thanks so much. Catch us on iTunes or your preferred podcast software, our website, dailyreview.com, that's D-A-L-E-Y review.com, Facebook or Twitter, or wherever you find us, please leave us a comment and a rating to let us know what you think of the show. Thanks for listening, pot people. Thanks for listening to my mom and dad. You don't have to go home, but you can't stay here. Just go home, folks.